I'm gonna do it. What's up, fam? Scorch the fears, episode 27. I'm like 95% sure it's 27. We might be at episode 28. I'm not sure. We have the amazing Ingrid Hernandez. She's amazing. She's beautiful. She's here to absolutely kill it right now. I'm super excited. Um, I want to let everybody know too a little bit of housekeeping. We are now on Spotify. We've actually been on Spotify the entire time, but I haven't been telling anybody. So it's we've been, we're on Spotify. You can look up Scorch the Fears um, and you'll see us on Spotify. I'm going to also start with a little bit of Instagram Live because I've learned that this stuff is good as well. So I'm going to do a little thing for that. Um, Ingrid, thank yes. you so much for being here. Thank like you. Excited that you're here. Um, I'm honored to be here with you. Uh, it is an honor having you. So I'm just gonna pin that. Okay, we got everything going. We're we're doing amazing. So by the way, guys, like and subscribe to. I've heard YouTubers say that over and over again. So I'm gonna say it now because I don't know who's doing it, who's not doing it. But a hundred percent, you'll keep seeing this cool content. I'm gonna start doing different content as well. I've mainly been doing Scorch the Fears. I'm going to start doing a few YouTube videos on how to work with agents. So everybody look out for that. Ingrid. Yes. So I'm going to start with my classic first question is like, how did you um, start getting into entrepreneurship or whether, or real estate or like, how did that start? Were you always an inbred entrepreneur? How did that part of your life start? So actually, um I'm sorry, before that, Tell people what you're doing right now. Tell them about a little bit about your business. <laughs> well, <gotta> right, <laughs> right now I do work with um, my husband and mm -hmm. my cousin, both are partners. So Mark Hernandez and David Diaz. Um, we run a wholesaling business, but we primarily focus with a buyer's mindset. So our mm -hmm. goal is to first figure out do we want these properties? And then if if we decide that it's not a good fit for us, then we wholesale. Okay. So, and we love to squat up with people. One of the, the metrics that I have right now is that um, I've helped four people get their first deals this Let's year. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. So it would have been five if uh, this Houston, a Houston opportunity didn't blow up, but it is what it is. It happens. Um, so, uh, yeah, so if people want to squat up and they have leads or properties under contract that they need to find buyers for the deal dispo.com is a place where you can actually enter it. Uh, it's probably the best way because people do text me or DM me and I don't mind those either, but, um, that's a way where it's more systematized. So, yeah. Right. hundred percent. So what is, so what is your model? Is it JV model? Like, is that mainly what you're doing? Um, to some extent, yes. Uh, we JV, we do sell, uh, we do direct to seller as well in Arizona and Las Vegas. Um, so we are calling sellers and pitching, you know, terms or cash or whatever mm, helps solve the seller's problems. Right. Okay, cool. I just wanted to check. All right. So now we got an idea of like what you're doing. How we met, by the way, just so people know, is that we met at Pace's Mastermind probably like six months ago. It was in December, right? It was in December. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that was just a lot of fun. We were literally just talking about it five seconds ago about how it was like, I had no idea. Honestly, before that, I had been in sub two for like a year or so. 
but I had never, like, I only knew people in Northern California, really. And like a few people who were really active on social media, like Kamai and Tristan, mm-hmm. who kind of latched on because they were on. So I just want to say again, you're an incredible person. I've loved seeing your growth and everybody else's growth too. Thank so you. I am going back to what I was, where I was starting, which was, so like, how did you learn about entrepreneurship or real estate? Like, how did that part of your life start? So firstly, I'm from Colombia, South America. So I'm an immigrant to this country. Amazing. Uh, I still recall stories when I was little where um, like we would get candy or things of that nature. And um, instead of me eating the candy, uh, we had one of these, uh, you know, back in the day, like when they would sell like cigarettes or whatever, they have that. I don't know what it's called, but. I'm way too young for that. I don't remember. <laughs> I did get pretty just there. <laughs> Sorry. So, I definitely don't remember cigarettes being sold anywhere, but a, but a, um, a vending machine or a, in yeah. a store. Yeah. So anyway, you know, like when you go to um, like sports games or whatever, like you'll have the vendors carrying things around. So there's this tray that was known for that kind of stuff. And I would put my candy there and go and sell it um, to like my neighborhood kids. And so I would make money by selling this candy at a very young age. Cause I immigrated to the States when right before I turned seven. Mm-hmm. So, um, definitely like at a very young age, I was already, uh, entrepreneurial in my family. Um, especially in Colombia, you had to have a trade or you wouldn't have a job or you wouldn't have a means to make money. Right. So, I had an uncle who was in construction and he had his own uh, business. I had an uncle who's had a really long standing restaurant and like brand um, in Colombia where uh, he, he sells, it's like a restaurant, but it's like a vendor fried food. So it, it's been long standing down there. Um, and then um, uh have at least three uncles that make shoes and sell shoes. So, yeah. So uh, was that a thing like in Latino culture where it was very much like you don't really get a job. You learn how to do something that then generates you income. So it was like a much more of a what I would call at least self-employed culture where like you're creating either a business or your own job. For sure. Absolutely that. And it's my opinion, at least in the city that I came from, it, one of the diseases there is a small mindset. And in my opinion, the reason that exists and, and it continues to perpetuate is when you, when you have a government that is as corrupt and doesn't allow for that growth mindset to mature, what you have is a whole bunch of tradespeople, a whole bunch of self-employed people who really have a hard time thinking bigger, you know, from a, like franchising their brands and things like that. There, there's just a lot of um, missing elements that we get to have here in the United States that allow people to scale it in that regard. So tell me about that a little bit. So like what go into that part of it, of the sense of like, how did immigrating here affect your entrepreneurial journey in comparison to Colombia? Because like you just said, it's a lot. There isn't that growth mindset in Colombia because the entire government kind of makes it where like it's impossible 
to run a business, honestly, probably, if I had to give a guess? Yeah. So um, beyond the government, it's what the government has culturized. So mm. uh, unfortunately, because of the corruption, because, like if you get so big, you're you're probably going to have the cartel after you, you know, things of that right. nature. So it's really hard to be a high producing citizen knowing that there's elements of, you know, not the best people who, who may come after you. So, uh, that, so that's something that you're up against. And when, um, I immigrated it, my mom actually left the country first. She left when I was about three and she immigrated to like the middle East. Um, Interesting. Egypt, she was traveling and, and she ended up in Greece. So in Greece, she met my stepfather who was in the military um, for the United States. Nice. They, got, they got married in Italy. I don't know how that ended. Wait, hold on. Let me, I'm just curious, like why the Middle East? Why'd she go to the Middle East? I'm not sure. Where, I think that was just weird. the easiest place to get a visa. So oh, okay. yeah, at the time. I like it. I, that was like 85 or so. Okay. And if any of you out there are huge Narcos fans, which by the way, I have not watched that show other than the first episode because <laughs> it makes me kind of upset, like how much that, um, that way of that culture, like it's, it's, you know, fantastical. It's like, I don't know. I think people somewhat look up to like Pablo Escobar and like the cartel people from Mexico. Right. And so for me, I'm like, I don't look up to that. You know, it broke apart our family. The That's reason not Colombia. Yeah. In Colombia, Pablo Escobar was really big in the 80s. Right. Um, and so uh, during during that time, it was hard for my mom to uh, really, you know, establish herself. And so she left looking for for more. Um, it was her and a cousin of hers. And uh, when she found my stepfather, they got married and we had the ability or they had the ability to immigrate me here into the United States. So, um, yeah, that was back in 88 when I moved here and at the end of and 88. Then, and then mm -hmm. how did that affect? I mean, uh, that's way too. I was about to ask, how did that affect the rest of your life? And I'm, that probably just is your life. What I meant by that, what I was thinking is just like, so. Because I'm so curious, this is obviously to me like a common theme among immigrants. Mm -hmm. They're just way harder working than natural born Americans, almost always. And I, well, I'm, well, it's because we've been filtered out. So, not to say all Colombians are super hard working, many are. Um, but for those who travel here, you're already getting the cream of the crop of right. the kind of mindset that it takes to be really tough working right like mm -hmm. and then you carry the responsibility or the weight of you might have family that you have to support right so there's a very specific kind of mindset and character that ends up you know where we are and i think it's just a natural selection you know mm -hmm. it's a natural selection because somebody who can't think bigger who doesn't want more for their life who doesn't want to leverage all the beautiful things that the United States can offer isn't going to try to right. get. So even those folks who have to do it the wrong way, in my opinion, you're still getting folks who want it at all costs. 
Right. So, um, you know, obviously I'm not going to talk about policies, but, you know, it's like, wow, you know, these are people who at all costs want to leverage the opportunities the United States has to offer. So. Agreed. Okay. That definitely makes sense. So cool. Let's keep going then. So eventually immigrate to the United States at seven. How was that first off? Like, I mean, like that's pretty wild shock at seven to have to leave everybody speak. You're, you only know how to speak Spanish, I'm assuming. And then how yeah. English. How was that? Yeah. I remember in um, coming to the United States and a uh, field of dreams was playing in the plane. So okay. that was my first American movie. Nice. Uh, uh, so of course I always have a soft spot for Kevin Costner now. <laughs> um, and, uh, so when I came here though, we only stayed for about six months or so. Cause my stepfather was in the military and actually we moved to Italy for two years. So, um, I didn't really come to the United States and stay here until I was, till I was 10. And I okay. see Kiki in the comments, Kiki shrugs. She's so awesome. Um, nice. I love her. She's Colombian too, part of sub too. So <laughs> Yeah. Um, so it was it was uh, interesting. I had to start learning English and I was learning Italian at the same time because of where we lived. So for time, I spoke Italian as well. Interesting. Uh huh. That's cool. I still remember a little bit like, eh, que se facendo? And, you know, <laughs> I know for bit. sure. I know. That's about it. <laughs> That's about all I know of Italian. There's um, so much Spanish in it, though. So like if I hear an Italian conversation, I get some of the gist of what they're saying. Yeah, 100%. Cool. Um, so Italy, America. So and then entrepreneurship. So like, we, when you were young, did that come out at all? Like how being wanting to be an entrepreneur? Um, no, when when I was in the un like after coming to the United States and kind of a trying to adapt to like what my surroundings were, like, you know, how things are actually supposed to work. Um, I would say at a young age, my goals were, you know, go to college, play sports and um, try to be a lawyer. So that is what I was aiming for. That's sort of where I, I evolved to. Um, I have some tragic stuff that happened as a young kid. And, and so for me, it was all about justice, you know? Oh, yeah. And uh, so that's kind of where I think my brain started heading was about like, you know, fairness and, and that translates a lot into real estate. You know, you have to understand contract law, you have to understand fairness and how, at least for me, ethically speaking, I want people to feel like everybody was had a fair share at the table. So mm -hmm. I feel like that's how I conduct my business. I love it. Okay. So okay. I love it. So then I'm also curious, just in the sense that so you were seeing the stuff that was happening in Colombia, and like that the government was like, really depressing people more or less in their mindsets and the way they were able to do business. Mm -hmm. And then when you came to America, like, did you see your family act differently? I'm almost curious, like, did it like, because I don't know, like, I don't know if you know this, Ingrid, I also speak Spanish. I did we talk about that? And I lived in the Dominican for two years so i speak it decently well i i when when people start speaking fast in in dialects that aren't the caribbean spanish i start i'm not usually able to understand but like when it's like quote unquote proper spanish i understand but um where i'm going with that is is like 
how did your how did your family change when they moved to the United States? I'm curious. Well, entonces no vamos a hablar español cuando estamos en Podemos hablar en español, pero, tenemos, es, pero estamos en la, es, ¿cómo se dice? Es, espectacular, like the show. I'm trying, <laughs> trying to remember. Also, I've lost a lot of it. I haven't spoken yeah. Spanish in three years consistently, yeah. which is rough. Well, I understand. If you don't use it, you lose it. Espectacular, you know. right? Isn't that <laughs> and, Sure. Okay. So I so do you know what's funny? Tomorrow I'm doing a podcast all in Spanish. Oh and nice. It, and so I don't know if you ever watched Selena, the the movie with yeah, Jennifer yeah. Lopez. I'm totally gonna be the uh Jennifer Lopez when she's like uh, uh trying to come up with Spanish. And so when I was talking to the gal who's gonna interview me, I was like, You're gonna have to help me because right. I moved here so young that my Spanish is family Spanish. It's right. not went to school, learned Spanish, Spanish. And so right. I very much speak Spanglish. I can trust me. I've closed deals speaking Spanish. Right. So it's it. I I can communicate fairly well. Um, but there are some words where I have to have my Google up and be like, yeah, I remember show again. How do you say that? Yeah, mine is mine is like that too, where it's like I should a hundred percent know that, but I'm like completely forgetting it just because yeah. I haven't spoken it yeah. in like a really long time and stuff like that. Yeah. But anywho, so um how did your family change being in America versus Colombia? I'm curious. Well, in Colombia, we used to live in like a two bedroom property with about twelve, thirteen people all under one roof. Mm -hmm. um, cousins, you know, aunts, my wow. grandmother, I used to sleep in the same bed with my grandmother. Mm -hmm. Um, and I really, we call her mamita because she was really like my mother growing up nice. and, um, moving here where I had a half sister, uh, who was born the year I immigrated here. And then, um, my mom and my stepfather and, the dynamic was extremely different. You know, in Colombia, you just run out, you play in the streets with your friends. Like the streets are so narrow. Right. We, we hardly ever saw a car. We did like right. being a car is like, was like a unique circumstance to coming here where you own a car, which is so super <laughs> You're like, Whoa, are we rich? Um, you know, and then, uh, you know, eating food like McDonald's. I, I wasn't a fan of it. I, I didn't eat very well when I first immigrated here. I didn't like the food. So my mom, right. you know, bless her heart, she used to have to make whatever I wanted because otherwise I wasn't going to really eat. So mm. uh, it I changed a lot. It, I had to learn to be by myself a lot, which mm. was different from when I was in Colombia because I had a plethora of cousins everywhere all the time. I think that's the one thing that I liked, like when I was living in the Dominican, where that, that sense of community, we just, we're very, we're way more individualistic here. Like oh, I have no yeah. idea who my neighbors are, really. Like I sort, I might know my next door neighbor, maybe, uh -huh. but like I, I definitely wasn't like just playing in the streets and stuff. It's something that I think, that's the one thing, I feel like there's always like a trade-off between like having a lot of money and not having a lot of money. Like, obviously there are a lot more benefits, I think, to having a lot of money, but then there you lose that sense of community in a way. That's why I love Sub2 so much is because we get we get the best of both worlds in a lot of ways. We get I was just gonna say that. Mm -hmm. 
money. Yeah, like I'm so happy to see so many people in our community in the comments line. I, I so you're getting it. a lot of love, by the way. I think <laughs> I think everyone. The only time, I think you're the one who's definitely gotten the most lo uh, love live for sure. So <laughs> wow. just FYI, like, well, I'm I, like sure. I don't think I've had enough as this many people being like, "Oh my God, it's Ingrid." <laughs> so. Oh, well, that's, um, I also sent out the link. So, I, you know, I, I may have helped. Other people have also. sent out the link. It's something about you. Don't, don't diminish oh. it. Okay. <laughs> well, thank you. Um, a lot of amazing people in the comments, you know, Daniel Quijano, Kiki, Luciano. So LT, yeah, I'm just very blessed to have those people in my life. I'm so blessed that, you know, the sense of community that I would get in Colombia like you're finding a lot of it here in sub mm -hmm. two, um, honestly, because I live, I've worked a corporate life for quite some time and you have to keep boundaries with corporate people and not to say yeah. I don't have boundaries with sub two, but it definitely feels yeah. more like family than it does with the corporate folks that, that, you know, I've made friendships with. So Ingrid, we were talking about this beforehand, but I want to bring it up just because I love doing this. So what, how are we, how are we getting you to quit your job? <laughs> what, is it, what is it gonna take because the corporate life i already know it's just not worth it so what are we doing what are you doing well, to change well i know my number what's the number in terms of cash flow okay my, my number is seven thousand five hundred and two. okay nice. um and so once i have seven thousand five hundred and two. Mm -hmm. why'd you add the two just because um one time i went to a meetup and Eric Sage was there and he mm -hmm. said, everybody always rounds up. What's your exact number? And so I was like, oh, damn, okay. So then I, you know, put together our typical costs, you know, what we spend on eating, even eating out. Uh, like, I, I think we live a very simple expense life in my house. Like, we only have our mortgage. Our cars are paid off. Like, we only have our mortgage. Everything else is utility expenses and whatnot or eating out or what other things that we, we just have, we like to go eat out. I mean, let's just, let's be real. Like that's the problem. I love eating out. Yeah. And um, so once I added all that up, plus what I think we would pay uh, for like healthcare, <laughs> that's the number I came up with. <laughs> okay. So your this number is the, I have everything covered. For my yeah. entire family. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because okay. I am the primary breadwinner. My husband is a real estate agent. Um, he went through his W-2 transition to, you know, uh, real estate agent back in 2017. Um, but uh, I had I had the health care, you know, the benefits, the 401k, all that. So um, it was better for me to stay back. And, and, and keep earning for the family, so. You got it, I understand, okay. And then, so I'm curious, like, is is he part of the business, your husband? Yeah, mm -hmm. okay. yeah, actually. What, what dynamic work? So, God bless him, like, uh, I, I know that I'm a boss lady, I can't help myself. <laughs> I can't do it right, but yeah, I try. Yeah. Um, He's amazing. My husband is amazing. Uh, it, it When he became a real estate agent, he's like, wow, you're really easy to please. I just need to keep your 
bras clean and your and, and food on your plate and like you're happy and i'm like yeah it doesn't take a lot to make me happy keep yeah, me does. fed and make sure i can go work out with the clean sports bras <laughs> um so he um because he has his license uh, and, and is a real estate professional already he had a lot of experience in the real estate realm um i will say that after joining sub two the proof of concept on the investment side, I had to bring that to life before my husband was in, you know? So, uh, explain joining, more. Yeah. So joining sub two, like I did it without asking for permission. Right. It was just like, okay, I, we can afford to pay this every month because I put myself on an installment plan. And I was like, if, um, he may not even know it, you know, but I, I mean, I let him know because I was going to commit a lot of time to learning. And uh, once that was happening, it wasn't producing results because all I was doing was learning, learning, learning. Right. I would talk about these crazy ways that you could take over properties and um, nothing actually clicks with real estate agents in that regard, because right. it's very true that when you're an agent, there's a very much a service based industry. So you're not thinking about the investment component of it. I mean, I've even represented investors in the past and, um, and not one time did, cause I've, I've had my real estate license since 2013 and not one time did I really sit with them to understand the numbers. They would just tell me here, make an offer on this and this is the number. So I would, um, you know, I would just take direction. Trust me. I know. I mean, you know, my main acquisition strategy is agents. That's like the, I think the biggest downside is it's really hard to do anything creative. So like, I don't own that much property because of that. I, get, yeah. I do a lot of wholesaling, but not as much, um, actually owning properties yet. Got it. But, um, but okay. So we getting back, yeah, we do need to change that quarter four for everybody. I've already, I haven't announced it publicly quarter four. I'm going to have an ac another acquisition manager hired, a disposition manager hired, and um, somebody who starts replacing my current administrative manager, George or Jorge. Um, he will be my new lead manager, and then I'm going to hire a cold caller, and then I'm going to start talking to sellers again. I haven't consistently talked to sellers in a year and a half, damn near. I used to a lot, so I'm a little rusty, but I'm going to start doing it again. I um, talked to two before we got on this call. <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking to one tomorrow. When I say consistently, like to me, that means I talk to probably like one a week, which is like okay. not even close to like, it's not like I haven't talked at all, but like you, exactly like you probably talk to like two to five or more a day, probably or something like that. So what, what we do in our business is we have a leads manager now, um, Dario. He was one of the guys that actually helped close his first deal this nice. year. Uh, he speaks Spanish, and that's really um, a, a huge benefit to us, especially in the markets that we're in. Um, but my husband as well. My husband helps leads manage as well. So with both of them, um, what they do is they keep up with the sellers. And then when somebody is in, is in a pull the trigger position, that's when they send it to me. Right. So um, the reason I was talking to those two sellers is because those two sellers, they got now to a point in, in their leads managing where they needed to have that conversation with me. So we actually might not be the best solution for both of them, but uh, 
now I'm very intentional about pitching PML uh, when I'm speaking with them. So both of them were very interested in that if they close uh, in a different way, in a more retail way, or um, so explain that because like I I understood, but like pitching PML, let's pretend like people don't understand what that means. Yeah, yeah. Like explain explain a little bit more in layman terms. For sure. So every time we do a deal with a seller, mm -hmm. uh, part of that close is I am in this in this uh, business to create relationships. I don't mm -hmm. want to be transactional. I don't want this to be the only time you ever talk to me. And so when I speak with sellers, I say, whether or not we're your solution, can I, can I follow up with you to see if maybe you're in a position to invest? And, and so PML is private money lending. And if I can come up with a project that, that would produce returns that there, there are other ways of investing like 401ks or IRAs or stock buying isn't paying them the dividends they're looking for annuities those types of things um, then if i have a project that could pay them eight to ten percent on a monthly basis secured by real estate would they be interested and so far i've been like four for four this week nice um, yeah not to say i have something right now for them they first have to close their transaction uh, but it's the kind of thing you want to also follow up. So if you're not following up with sellers after you've closed with them in or even if you aren't the solution and they choose to sell with someone else, if they're in a position to become private money lenders, you should be qualifying them for that as well. I like that. So why do you think like what's what are the different because this is something I feel like a really good closer has is like just all I'm doing is offering options, right? Like, so I'm curious, because that's a really interesting one to me. I haven't even thought of that, of like pitching being a private money lender if they mm -hmm. don't, if it doesn't work in other ways. What are some other ways that maybe people who like are always like, man, I'm just thinking about a cash offer. All I, that's what I know. I know cash offer. That's what I've learned on YouTube from Max Maxwell. Like what, what do you think other things that people should be pitching or what other services they should be offering and how do they offer those services or how do they utilize that? By services, you mean in, PML, in like asking your seller to be a PML or oh, maybe like what, like, like what, like what are the ways I can buy the house? What are the ways I could do something else that might be able to help you? Yeah. Well, actually um, I was talking to someone right now who didn't have a lot of pain and I was mm -hmm. like, you know what? I think I'm your plan B or C like, right. It, it, you bought the property for 368000 You can sell it for $900,000. Um, and then I said, what if we partnered on an Airbnb and I just give you a percentage for mm -hmm. what we make every year? I, uh, I take over the property. I manage it. I operate it. And you just become an equity partner. Um, so for, for those sellers that you don't have, that don't have pain, like, you looking out for them and advising them in other ways they could have financial gain with you. That's one way, right? Mm -hmm. Obviously we're in sub two. So creative financing is always uh, ways that we can provide more wealth building, even when they are in pain. So if you're taking over a mortgage and uh, you can provide uh, dividends or, or, I don't want to say dividends per se, but interest rate on their equity that they might still hold on to. You know, I have a property in Houston where um, 
we gave that person $30,000 in uh, an equity interest. And every month we pay a piece of that, of that on top of the fact that they left the transaction with $10,000 in their pocket. And um, if they were to list it and try to sell that property in the as is condition it was in, like they would have had to come out of pocket. So I was able to create $30,000 secured by real estate and $10,000 in their pocket. And so my solution for their problem was beyond what a traditional real estate agent was going to be able to provide. I love it. I love that stuff so much. I think that's what makes us so powerful is we're just so much more useful than other people. That That's where I was going with it in the sense of like, look, I can buy this cash. I can refer you to a realtor that'll get you a better price than whoever the hell you know. I can buy this creatively where you make more money than you'd ever make in any situation if you're willing to do it over time. I'm willing to partner with you on an Airbnb. I'm willing to not do any business on this house, but you just lend me money. Mm-hmm. I think it's the most powerful thing, like getting creative and thinking about what's actually the best thing for that person. Not yeah. like what's going to make me money, but like what's going to make what's going to make them money and what's going to make them happy. And- that is the perspective I try to take on all the time because this is a volume game. Right. Let's say you're only making two hundred dollars from every seller every time you speak with them. Mm-hmm. Those are incremental gains. So if you're looking at this from a long-term perspective, a long road, you're, the money will come. So that shouldn't be your primary focus. 100%. So I got derailed a little bit with your story. So we left off where you were like, okay, so you're about, you're leaning towards becoming a lawyer, mm-hmm. all of that. So keep going from there. Um. So yeah, I... Uh, I played sports growing up, so I played softball. Nice. Um, I also played basketball. I pl- actually was the first girl to ever play football at my high school. Oh, nice. Fun what fact. Uh, I was a Z-man, which is a blocking receiver on oh, the, nice. you know, on offense. And then I was a weak side linebacker on defense. And yes, nice. I played both positions. Oh, yeah. That's I was a starter. Cool. Um, my I husband footage of you just wrecking some guy, like just tackling him to the ground. That'd be so cool. Do we have some hidden footage? Like, did you prepare that for the audience right now? Because I'll um, find a way to hook it up and like get it on the big screen. Be like, all right, guys. As you reminded me, I'm super old. Uh, since I couldn't figure out the reference to the uh, cigarette holder thing, you know, when <laughs> day, but. Um, no, there's not a lot of footage. I am in the yearbook with like my like you know football gear on, but um... I'll take it. Well, <laughs> well, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna hit you up for it later, and that'll just be the thing for the podcast. That'll be oh fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> well, at the time, my husband had a really cute girlfriend, um, so I only knew him. That's how I met my husband originally. Um, Do you guys go to high school together? Our freshman year, yeah, and then okay. I moved to another school, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, um, but our sisters are the same age. So they were best friends and, Mm -hmm. and how I know the universe answers your prayers and things like that. They used to say, what if your sister and my brother got married, we would be sisters. So I think they threw it out there in the universe. And, um, when I was 24, I went on a, went to a birthday party for one of my best friends and I saw him there. And, um, 
we had known each other because I would drop my sister off on occasion. And uh, so now we were like at a social setting and uh, yeah, he came up to me and, and uh, I told him to give me his number and I called him a couple weeks later. Wait, that's hilarious. You told you, you told him you're like, give me, or you told him take my number or did you? No, I asked for his number. Amazing. Yeah. And um, I was snowboarding. So I remember that like, the the snow was still into March, which was not very common in Arizona. So for the next two weeks, I was out snowboarding. Is so snow common in Arizona? Is there any snow? I guess there's what is it? Uh, you snowball, 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 and and then there's a uh, pine top, which I can't the the name leaves my brain right now. It's okay. um, yeah, and uh, so yeah, I was up north every weekend. Um, in March of that year, you know, enjoying snowboarding. Um, mm-hmm. But don't you worry. A month later, I was pregnant with my son. That's how handsome no. my, my husband was. Nice. <laughs> Amazing. That's, that's yeah. cool. So I don't going. recommend people, uh, you know, taking the route I took. But uh, yeah, it is. But you're here it. and you're doing it. Out. <laughs> so yeah, like, I mean, no matter what, whatever parts, like, I also don't remember, like, no matter what happens in life, just you're here now. And that's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I went to school after high school. I played softball at um, Scottsdale Community College. They gave me a scholarship, a Sunrise Ski Resort. Thank you, Scott. That's that's where I actually used to snowboard okay. more often than snowball. Um, and then um, uh, I, w- I went to a bunch of schools. <laughs> So I went to, because I had a, a scholarship there to play softball. I was also offered a scholarship to play basketball, but I turned it down. Um, and then um, and then I went to Chandler Gilbert, where I finished off my softball career. And then I started going to Arizona State University, Go Devils. So um, because I had to work my way through going to school, you know, paying my tuition, I did get some like some loans, um, FAFSA stuff, you know, uh, but I was working like two or three jobs at the same time. I was, I was paying off for tuition. Damn. How was that? Difficult. (laughs) No, but yeah, I mean, definitely difficult, but like, I'm curious, like in the sense that like, I couldn't imagine, I mean, I went to college when college is freaking hard enough, let alone having a job at two jobs at the same time. Well, I was a halftime student in order for me to work and like live. Okay, that makes sense. Um, and so uh, for me, I, yeah, it took four more years to finish school. Um, and it was because I was working and, and paying. Now I'd still left school with a whole bunch of debt, but um, it, it was more reasonable because I right. paid so much while I was in school. Nice. Um, so yeah, I was a bartender. I was a waitress. I worked at a flower shop. Mm. I worked at uh, you know the stadium, um, the where where the Cardinals used to play before they now moved to the Glendale. Um, yeah, I've had a whole bunch of jobs. <laughs> I like it. Cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So then, so then keep going. So then, graduate college. Mm-hmm. Lawyer? No. Well, um, I had a really good friend named Alex and his dad was a professor at Arizona State and he knew me and he was like, you're not going to enjoy being a lawyer. And then I was taking some justice studies courses where um, the 
like the stories that I would hear, and I feel like I'm an empathetic person. Like I would cry in class to think about these people who like their circumstances were beyond their even thinking abilities. Like people with like learning disabilities were getting jailed because they didn't know how to act or what to say as a part of being arrested. And right. I was like, I will kill myself. I know I will. Like genuinely, if this is the stuff I'm up against and I'm not able to help. Right. So I had to take a really hard look to see if this is the kind of life I really wanted. And, and you know, um, do I think I could have serviced a lot of folks in that regard for sure? But I think it would it would come at the cost of of my sanity and my happiness and work so hard to get to the United States. It's like, that's not the way it should end. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. So then I chose to just not do that. And um, I got hired into a corporate job when, uh, when I was in, in 2004 and quickly started moving my way up. And so I was like, well, I'll take this route. Um, you know, I ended up, pregnant with my son in 2006. And um, it just was the safer decision to make. Um, and, and that's, and that's what we did. So my husband and I, we, we, you know, got together, we had our son in 07, we had our daughter in 09. Um, and not until 09 happened, and we bought a house from his cousin, who's a realtor. She was like, you should become an agent you could do it on the side. And mm -hmm. I was like, mm, yeah, maybe, maybe. And um, it, it just, housing was a huge topic of conversation. You know, I, I actually short sold a house in 2010 mm -hmm. and went through that terrible experience. I'm sorry. Yeah. And, and um, I bought a house. So to rewind, I bought a house in, in 2005 with a friend of mine. My goal was like, I'm going to buy a house and I'm going to sell it in three years and then pay off all my student loans and right. then, you know, move to New York and live a carry like, you know, from Sex and the City, have my, my <laughs> one bedroom apartment with a huge closet of shoes. Like that was my vision. Amazing. <laughs> That's still possible. We can yeah. see that happen. Well, now I, now I want the penthouse apartment that him and uh, that her and, and big had in the in the later there we go. movies but anyway um so things just got comfortable we we settled down like we we did have to short sell the house luckily that house was only under my name so my husband went and bought a house under his name because we weren't married at the time and um yeah we we moved from queen creek to maricopa so wait, I want to pause you for a second. So mm -hmm. in the terms of a short, you might be the only person I know other than Jamil who's had to go through that experience. Mm -hmm. Just in case there's somebody going through it right now, like what what advice would you give them? Like how did you deal with, because that's super stressful. I can't imagine that being like an easy time. So like what would you recommend to somebody who's going through that and how they would, could get over it or get through it or what they should well, do? First of all, if you're going through a short sale, call me. Right. Because we, we can help you it. avoid it. Right. <laughs> you know, if only I knew wh what I knew now, then I could have considered, you know, how what my options were. I would say the, the circumstances were still very extreme. So I don't see how even a sub two situation may have worked. I mean, short sales 
are still technically an exit if a sub two is not reasonable. Right. Because the, the mortgage was high enough where I don't think we, we would have been able to cover it with rents. Gotcha. So I still think a short sell would have been the, the exit anyway. Um, Airbnb was no such thing. <laughs> and, and our house was like a secondary market. So it was really far away from the metro area. Right. And, and honestly, when people are underwriting right now, I, I encourage you to consider whether or not the houses you're you're looking at are in growing populations or not, and whether or not it's a true secondary market, um, because you know uh, long-term rentals and what that would gain for you is is important to understand. Right. So, yeah, hundred um, percent. I mean, but, I know people talk about cash flow, like whatever happens with appreciation, you always have that, and that's true. But I'm, I'm almost like 95% sure most of the money you end up making in real estate is from appreciation. Almost always. It seems like. Maybe not. Maybe you can answer that. But it depends on the situation. But I've noted it also might be because I'm from California. So I'm constantly looking at these houses going up so much. What's your opinion on that first off? But then I, I want to keep on the short sale. Well, in my opinion, if you focus on cash flow, but you really do well to to understand the market you're doing, like uh, I think cash flow in the end is what will help you because more than appreciation, which is just a cherry on top, it's it's the um, the buy down that's happening, that's and then having an approach like a multifamily would do, which is my goal with my properties is how do I refinance them and continue to recycle the wealth, not to get rid of them. So. Uh, if you're planning on getting rid of them, I think appreciation is most important if you're a fix and flipper, not not if you're a buy and hold investor. Fair enough. So so I want to go back to the short sale part, though. So like, let's say it's the sub two is not going to work. We can't do anything creative. I'm talking about on like the seller side. How what advice would you recommend to them, like emotionally, mentally and like what they could what you what like what would you do again if you could like to make it any better than it already is? Well, like I said, I have a real badass husband mm -hmm. and I think if he wasn't a part of the equation, well, I don't know. Uh, You're I'm, also, I'm pretty independent. So yeah. I feel like I would have figured my brain out eventually. I will say it was really difficult. Um, so here's the part that becomes difficult for short sales. Mm -hmm. Not the house went under and now you have this ding against your credit it impacts your ability to make wealth for the next at least four years. So I was paralyzed to a large degree what decisions I could make for my life. Mm -hmm. um, I had had credit card debt, which I, I never stopped paying my credit cards. But the minute you stop paying your mortgage in order for a short sale to work, because for a short sale to work, you have to actually stop paying your mortgage. Right. And, and then prove that you're in a financial strain. And so that was really tough for me because I'm like, hold off phone. Like I've never missed a payment on anything. Like that's Because you could make the payments. Because uh, like, well, I could, but it was coming at a cost. Like right. it was really difficult to make it. Um, but it was something you had to do in a short sale situation at the time. And, um, but I was still making all my credit card payments. Now, once you stop making your mortgage payments, your credit cards always are aware of what else is happening to you. 
And so all my credit cards got shut down. That's and, a wrap. And talk about due on sale clause. Like I had all my credit cards were due. All the debt that I had was all due. Of them? All of them. Damn. So if you have somebody going through short sale, like that's something else that they have to deal with, you know, whether it's a foreclosure or short sale, because now everything else in their life is impacted. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I, when I've had discussions with three foreclosure clients of mine, we talk about that. I'm like, man, you know, what else is happening? What other credit issues do you have? And if you start thinking about creative and, and about the tangent issues they might have, you might find pain you weren't expecting. So I recommend, you know, and that adds to the motivation to sell to you, right? Hey, do you have any credit card debt we have to also get rid of, get rid of for you as a part of this offer? Like, I want to make sure you're set, you know? Right. And so I recommend thinking about that when you're talking to clients, but that was really rough for me. Um, I, I contacted like a debt consolidation company, and I was making like $450 payments a month for like five years or something crazy. I'm sure they like charged me crazy interest as a part of doing all of that. And it was hard. But um, again, I live a very simple life, <laughs> you know, and so I feel like we were able to get through it because we weren't extravagant spenders, you know. Right. So, mm -hmm. No, I got it. Okay. So you got past that um you've always you've now known about real estate because of a real estate you were a real estate agent keep going so like what what happened after because that was 2008 so the economy is doing badly yeah what's happening so i sold the house i short sold the house in 2010 okay um and uh we we bought a house in 09 and it my husband under my husband's name i didn't get my license until 2013 and then um, after that, I started the side hustling, right? Like the first year I was a agent as a side hustle, I was able to close four, four deals that way. Um, and then um, it, it kept, the momentum kept going. And to the point I was making um, as much or close to what I was making in my corporate job. And every time I wanted to quit, I, I got a promotion on the corporate job. <laughs> Seriously, every two years, if you actually look at like my title changes, every two years I would get a promotion into mm -hmm. something. And um, so by the time 2017 came around, I was, you know, that's when my Why husband- Why were you wanting to quit? I wanted to quit because I really felt real estate was my passion. Mm. And what I was focused on um, had me tied down to a desk. And so for me, I felt like being of service to people, having to provide that, that love and care for people's big, big decisions was something I really pulled from, you know, I know we should talk a lot about agents, but like a lot of us have big, big, big hearts and we want people to have like an incredible experience and to know that somebody um, wants to take care of them um, when they're making those big transitions in their life. And I felt like I was very connected to that. Um, even as a side hustle person, you know, like even though I wasn't a real estate agent a hundred percent of the day. Um, 
but I had built up the business where it was paying, you know, around 70 to $80,000 a year. That's a lot. So <laughs> yeah. And it was part time. So, right. um, it was easier for my husband to continue that pipeline, uh, for, for us in 2017 and he moved into it. Um, and so that's the way we ended up transitioning. Instead. How did you do that? Because I'm curious, like, this isn't just, again, like this is, I think that counts as your first business side hustle that I've heard so far. That's something more entrepreneurial side. How did you hit that? Because I, I mean, I know a lot of, there might be some real estate agents on here who aren't hitting 70 to 80,000 a year. Like, what do you think made? Cause I, I mean, I think there was a statistic. It's like 80% of real estate agents don't make any money or something like that. Yeah. That first two years. The first two years or something. I don't know how, um, what makes somebody able to get 70 to 80,000 a year as a real estate agent versus the person who's just struggling? Um, I honestly believe it's the same advice we give to other folks in real estate investing. It's mm -hmm. nobody, you know, a closed mouth doesn't get fed. So I was very vocal about what I did. And that is the only thing I would like. People didn't even know I had a W-2. Although when they went into like business with me, I would tell them, you know, I, 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 I don't like feeling like I'm being um, unfaithful in, in whatever way. I don't know. It feels that way. So um, I would tell them, but um, I would just talk about it all the time on Facebook. Okay. Um, there you go. You know? And so people knew me as a trusted person and, you know, um, Pace also had a similar story where I think he said he moved what 20 something times before he was 19. Mm -hmm. um, I moved 14. I moved 14 times before Dang. I hit the age of 18. And then a whole bunch of times when I was in college. Just how is that? Live. How does, how does that work? Cause I can't even imagine that. Like, what were you thinking when you were young? Well, what's interesting is Pace said there's trauma behind that. And I never labeled it as such. Um, in my head, it was sort of like, I'm either going to be an extreme introvert, you know, nose in books, or I'm going to be the complete opposite. And if you know me, I'm the complete opposite. Like I, I say things that I shouldn't say sometimes because I'm just like the, the attention maybe that gives me, I don't know, whatever. Um, but because I had to make friends really quickly, I found that humor and, and having people feel good when they were around me was a really easy way to make friends. And that comes as a power. So uh, I don't look at moving, you know, 14 times before the time I was 18 as necessarily a trauma. Um, I was very blessed to, to uh, be on a traveling softball team that as I moved, I still had like a stable. Oh, that's cool. And so I didn't realize how much that saved me. So wait a minute, like, were you moving 14 times in Phoenix or like 14 different cities? Um, it depends. So okay. I've lived in Tempe, Mesa, Gilbert, Chandler, Phoenix, like mostly the East Valley though. Okay. Um, but it would require, it required me to go to different uh, schools. Different schools, yeah. Right. The only time I finished one school year from like beginning of the school year to the end of school year was in seventh grade. Okay, man, so, that's crazy. 
Yeah. And then, and then again, my freshman year, I was in one school and then one school from sophomore to senior year, which was Tempe High. Damn. Yeah. Crazy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so I know a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. That's amazing. So, yeah. okay. So you were starting side hustle as a real estate agent doing that stuff. And then um, how did you get into real estate investing? Like where did, when did that come into the fold? Okay. So COVID came. Okay. And um, during that time, I had to let go of an employee who I didn't feel was deserving of letting being let go. Mm. And um, because we had to make cuts to align with but like budget projections. Did you own that. a brokerage? Hmm? Did you own a brokerage? No, no. Um, so uh, what we haven't talked about is how I moved in the W-2 space. Like I was in corporate. And so at the time I had a manager role and had, oh, you had to hire somebody in your corporate job. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. I understand now. I got you. I had to lay them off. I wasn't gotcha. firing them, but yeah. Gotcha. And, um, I, I had to do that. And I also had to have somebody else take furlough, which then you start thinking like, wow, like that's taking legit money from their family and putting right. them in a very stressful position. And like, I hated that I had to do that. It's no fun. Um, and in my head, I was thinking like, I want to be in business for myself and I don't want to have employees. Like, I, I know that that's maybe a selfish way of looking at things still, but I was, I didn't like that feeling or that the thing I thought was a security really wasn't as secure as I thought. Like, um, and so uh, we had to like remodel our, our second floor. <laughs> and, and so, you know, took the carpet out, replaced the floors and all that. And I started listening to bigger pockets, mm -hmm. um, you know, Brandon Turner and, and, and all of that. And um, I loved the stories. I would, I would, like I painted this room, I painted a lot upstairs and I would have the, the podcast blasting. And I was like, I still don't understand someone like me who doesn't have the capital to go buy. Cause I had about at the time I had like 40 or 60 grand. I don't remember. And, um, I was asking a hard money lender, like, Hey, what can I do with this? And they're like, that's not enough. And I'm like, okay. You yeah, got the wrong person. Yeah. And I was like, how is that not enough? I'm hearing these beautiful stories of these people who like had nothing make it happen. And so in my head, I was like, there has to be a way there right. has to be a way. Right. And so that's when I went on YouTube university and I started searching. Cause I was like, bigger pockets isn't telling me the story that I need to hear, like whatever magical story that is. And, uh, I, I started searching, finding properties like, or buying properties as a real estate investor without any money. And some old dudes came up on YouTube that I had, I couldn't understand what they were saying. And then Jerry Norton came on. And I knew okay. what he was saying, but it was pieces he was missing. And then Pace Morby came up because of Jerry Norton. And Pace was like, you know, click on this link. I'll give you the 27 exits or something like that. Um, and so I did that. I sent basically my email to him and I was able to watch that 45 minute video. And I was like, this guy explains it in a way my brain understands. Or not just that, because I feel like I have, a, you know, I, I can understand some high level stuff. Um, but 
he's just so detailed in what he's saying that anybody can pick it up. And I really right. understood that because I've had to deal with a lot of change management in my life uh, from a corporate standpoint. And somebody who has the ability to teach that way is really special. Right. Um, so once I learned that, um, I was like, okay, I need to figure this. This is the guy. This is the guy who's got to teach me. So I started following him on Instagram. I went to a meetup where he was. And then um, that was November of 2020. Mm -hmm. And uh, I went to his meetup in December, met Anna Martinez, you know, like his project manager um, at the time. And then um, by January, I had signed up for his mentorship. I love it. Yeah. And then so like what once you signed up for his mentorship, like you were talking a little bit earlier about how you weren't taking action initially. What was causing that, you think? Because I'm a learn it all. OK. Um, you know, as somebody who wanted to be a lawyer, uh, there's a sense of confidence that one has to build up to feel like they could be a trusted source. Mm hmm. And that for me is very important. Like I yeah. don't want people reaching out to me and my not having the ability to answer their questions or, or solve their problems. And so I, it felt more like it was a responsibility of mine. Yeah. To learn. So um, it was that summer of 2021 last year and we were on a zoom and all of a sudden I was like, is that my cousin, David? <laughs> I took a picture. I sent it to him and I was like, bro, is that you? <laughs> He's like, yeah, that's We're hilarious. In mentorship. So uh, we started talking about, you know, how we were both struggling to move forward with our business. He had actually started hiring VAs already. Um, and so I finally like finally decided to call and by the way this took a few months for us to kind of like evolve to how many months is this so i think it was like july when we started like hey maybe we should team up and then we're kind of ironing things out taking our sweet ass time by the way um and i i because i recall getting on the phone and not even in two weeks i had a contract nice and i was calling between four and seven p.m. at night after I was done with work and yeah like I was like oh it was like the fifth day of me calling or the sixth day was it was that hold on so you joined sub two and then how long was it you were just learning and then when did you and then you started calling like give me the timeline a little bit when did you joined sub two the end of January of 2021 and then it and then you were just learning all the way until July I was learning learning Kind of half-assed took action with David. We're like, yeah, yeah, VAs, uh-huh. And then okay. I didn't actually start calling until September. So, like, you didn't talk to a seller until September? No, not in any significant way. No. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Okay. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. so, and you, and for you, it was, it was a perfectionist mindset is what it sounds like. Was it like that? Or was it just more like you really felt like if you didn't know something, you it would not work? Well, I know what a short sell feels like. Right. So in my head, I was like if I don't really know how to put this together, like I could really rock someone's world and I don't want that responsibility. Like right. I hope everybody feels this way, by the way. Yeah. I want everybody to feel this way. Like we're really 
dealing with people's livelihoods. And right. so there's a responsibility that comes with that. And for me, that was paralyzing to some extent. Right. Because I take like I take that seriously. Yeah. So, I 100% have felt that with different things. I remember as a young kid, I kind of wanted to be a doctor, but then I imagined like opening somebody's heart up and then killing them because I didn't know something and being like, I don't know if I could kill somebody over that. So yeah. I know that feeling. It's similar. So what happened? How did you get over that feeling? Like, because you eventually were like, screw it. I got to do it anyways, right? Yeah, screw it. I got a call, you know, uh, it's like uh, income generating activities. And uh, so my, my first approach wasn't to be direct to seller. I was trying to do the Lonza method and like squatting up with people. I would be in the chat for a wholesale hotline, but I wasn't as intentional as I could have been. And so it was really about making friends. If I'm really being honest, like I made a lot of friends on wholesale hotline chat and, and Sunday service. So it wasn't really moving the needle. Um, but yeah, I was like, first of all, I, again, I've had a lot of jobs. Um, I was a telecommunications person in high school for two years. I was so good at closing in high school that they didn't care what hours I worked. They would just let me come in whenever I wanted, so long as the office was open, and I would just put whatever hours I could. So for two years, that's what I did. I would go in there, take calls, and like call people and sell them shit that we were selling. So... Nice. Yeah. And so I started thinking about that. I'm like, they used to cuss me out then. What am I worried about? So, um, yeah, I, I just started calling and realized I had some really, really great conversations and got over it. Okay. So, so was it, so it was mainly just kind of remembering your past in the sense that, okay, I already did this so I can do it again. Would you say that? Yeah. And I, I also think, and I can't recall all the details, but I, you know, listening to Brent Daniels, Pace and Jamil, like your the heart of your business is your lead generation. Mm -hmm. And so if you can't build up leads to potentially close on, you don't have a business, you have a hobby. And I was like, son of a biswax. Like when they said that it hit me hard. Cause I was like, this is a hobby. And here I am taking time away from my family to focus on this when I'm not working, that is irresponsible. For there myself. you go. That's what I was looking for because that's what I've noticed. And that's what the thing is like, because the whole point of this podcast, like the whole purpose of it is as far as I'm concerned, is helping people get over the fear of taking action or the fear yeah. of doing something, right? Yeah. And I've started noticing almost always there are only like two ways to do it. And one of them is a lot stronger in my opinion than the other one. And one is to either give you, it has to give you a reason why. And the why either has to be like, I want to help people. I want to do more. I want to be able to live in a penthouse, like stuff like that. that that's, uh, those are called like carrot on the stick motivations, like the ones that are like in front of you, driving you towards it. And then there are ones that are like behind you, like, oh shit, I got to pay bills type of thing. Or, oh, like I'm taking, I'm, I, there is a negative. I'm taking time away from my family. Like it's, I got to make this work for this. Otherwise I'm yeah. wasting my time type of thing. So a hundred percent it it's finding that wise, at least what I've noticed. So that makes total sense to me. Well, and the other thing is I still hadn't won over my husband on investing. 
So not having these wins, like, again, because so it, it all kind of started making sense to me, like, okay, I'm treating this as a hobby, it's coming out of cost of not being around my family as much as I could be, right? And I'm not closing deals. So that equation wasn't making sense. Um, but once we had that property under contract, and it required my husband to go because it was in Vegas, him and my cousin went to Vegas and like assessed the situation, made sure we had a good contract and then that we were going to be able to make the money we were setting out to make. And that's all it took for my husband. So imagine it took me to get on the phone and that, that proof of concept all it took for my husband and not even a month later, he had his first contract being amazing. Yeah, that's really quick, right? Like you said, how quickly a week or do you say a month? Mm -hmm. That's really quick. Like, mm -hmm. do you think it was just from like all that learning, like finally just being like, all right, I, I, I got it. The only person who was learning was me. Right. My husband wasn't. So what do you think it was? Because that's rare, right? Like my here, like for me, it took me four months. Like most people, I, I've, I feel he's like a, it's rarer to have it after a month. He's a real estate agent. So he's that's not true. coming. Yeah. And so, it's part uh, of it. um, so Anthony Pappas, you know, um, he's a land guy here in Arizona um the that property he helped my husband like he helped me on a different big wholesale check that we made um my husband was like hey because he started leads managing right and he's like hey i think i got a live one here and you know i just texted anthony and said hey what should we lock this up as and anthony was like forty thousand, and mark locked it up at 35. he saw that as competition like oh, no, i'm gonna do better all right so um that first wholesale check uh, was 26 grand, I think in Amazing. total, 26 something. Amazing. Mm -hmm. Amazing. And we used it to go to the mastermind. How did that feel? <laughs> um, to lock up that wholesale. Yeah. To get, yeah. To have that 26 K hit the bank. So it wasn't 26 K and it was a total 26 K fee, but, um, uh, Anthony gave us a piece of it for the leads generating. And then we have these that, so it was closer to about 13 something. Whatever. How did it feel to have the 13K at the bank? I'm going to say something that maybe goes against the grain, <gasps> but it didn't feel like anything. Okay. Um, Why do you think that? Because I don't focus on cash. The part that felt good was knowing that that man could now pay off this like judgment that was like mm. bothering them. Like I didn't like the, again, the money part does not possess me. Like Amazing. what felt great was this guy closed. He now doesn't have this judgment against him and now he can sleep at night. Like that felt great. Um, I'm sure it helped great for my husband. Cause he's the one who, who closed that. Not, not, not me necessarily, but right. um, yeah, I, honestly, I've, I've made a really big wholesale check. And I, it made, it made no difference. And I, I've taught, I've thought about that. I'm like, you know, Brent Daniels has talked about like, when that check hits your bank, it'll make your brain melt. And I'm like, no, it didn't. Like That's it didn't amazing. make my brain melt. Um, it's amazing. I, it definitely made my brain melt. You are a better person than me. I for <laughs> sure was like, like going crazy, but go on. Well, and back to your carrot and the stick thing. Um, I don't have those circumstances in my life where 
I have the need for that big drop. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And so, um, and I know I'm doing things the wrong way this year. I'm, we're, we're getting a, a, a bookkeeper and all of that, but like, I haven't taken a draw yet on okay. what money we've made. Like we've reinvested it, moved it around. Like, I feel like it's more like playing Monopoly. Like right. the cash isn't real. And right. I'm just trying to figure out how do I make more cash out of it? So I, I, I haven't realized anything we've made so far. And so, so I know. What, I, hmm? So what, like, so, okay. Your goal is 7,000. I forgot. 7,000. 7,502. 7,502. So like I, cause this is something important. So I want to give this to you. Cause I've noticed that it really helps a lot is making goals in between those where you do something for yourself because of it. Mm. Like I I'm because like, that's the one thing that like, I feel like, cause it's, I really like how you're, it's the fact that you help to the other person too, but it's also something, just a little bit of advice that mm -hmm. it's like, you should make some goals in between that. So like when you hit that, it's like, all right, I'm going to throw a party or I'm going to, I'm going to smack some guy in football and just tackle him to the ground <laughs> and just love my life over it or something like that. Um, yeah. I, and that's not just to you. That's to everybody. Cause like once I started doing that, cause what I, at least what I used to do is I used to like, I, like I remember um, I eventually got to the point where like, when like like I would do, I would get in like a decent amount of money in wholesale fees and I just kind of be like, eh, like, that's like, that's nothing compared to what I need to be doing. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And because I wasn't taking any wins inside at all, it felt way worse. It was like much more of a grind than when I started being like, okay, that's a huge wholesale check. I'm going to enjoy that. I'm going to take in the victory in that. Um, so anyways, but I do like your idea of taking in the victory of how much you help somebody else. That is an amazing perspective to have. Yeah. I feel like that's probably the tally I would make for me. Like the fact that I know I've helped four people this year get their first. Right. And the, the one that I keep thinking about was the one that got away. You know, oh, like those are the happens. things that I focus on. Um, but yeah, uh, I appreciate you telling me that. I, 100%. I, I, I do need to realize the wins. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 100%. So, okay. So what are you, so once we hit that, because I'm curious too about the vision. So once we hit the $7,502, what then, what do we do now after that? Like, I'm curious if you're thinking even past that or like, what's, what's the type of lifestyle you're going for? Um, I, so this is interesting because, um, Elena Tang, Tang, you know, she's, she's, uh, becoming a life coach, I believe, or, right. or Mind, working yeah. her Mind way to be a life coach. Yeah, Elena, Elena Method on Instagram. Go follow her. Um, one of the things that she's been doing, she's collecting, like, who who could she help through life coaching? And I don't know what I want from a lifestyle person. Like, I imagine doing this and nothing necessarily changing in my life. And I hmm. think it's because of what drives me. Um, 
my only lifestyle change is to be able to travel more with my family. I think the only vision that I've been able to create, and it was actually even that was really difficult. I don't understand why I, I struggle so much in thinking big. Um, but uh, because my kids are still in school, the only thing I can come up that was big was I want us to be able to choose wherever we want to travel for the time that they're out of school. And, you know, money is no issue in order to do that. So that's the only lifestyle thing I can think of other than do a kitchen remodel. <laughs> but, you know, that's it. Like, I can't, I, I can't, I don't I know what bigger thing to shoot for. I've had that. I've had that a little bit too, where I, where, and I look at like the money in the bank and I'm like, wait, so what am I supposed to do with this now? What yeah. am I, what am I, what is supposed to happen with this money other than making more money? And so it's, it's a funny problem with entrepreneurs because we're constantly doing that, I think. Yeah. Personally, for me, what I've been doing, which it sounds like you were doing anyways, is I'm going out to eat way more than I used to. I'm like <laughs> constantly doing that. I'm like, I'm like, man, maybe I'll just take business class now, like from now on. I don't know. Like, let's let's just make like what I did recently. I I went to Europe recently. I saw. And I did it like but I did it like a college student. Because that's just like in my mind what I'm supposed to do. I took flights, which was good. It's not like I took bus everywhere. But on my way back, I had set it up where I'd leave from. Like I would, I also studied abroad in Spain, so I lived in this in this small town in the south called Cordoba, and it was. Um, I took a I took a nighttime bus at one a.m. in the morning, that was four hours to Madrid. Waited three hours in the airport. Took a flight to uh lisbon then took a flight to dc and then took a flight to san francisco all in like the one day so it was probably like 18 19 hours of traveling and i remember thinking like what's wrong with me i have the money not to do this <laughs> like why am i being such an idiot um so like there and there's there's like certain things i'm starting to realize where i have to like train myself out like i also recently moved out of my place in san francisco i don't know if you know this do you know i'm moving to denver did i tell you no. that no. I'm, moving to Denver. I'm moving to Denver pretty soon. Good um, for you. Yeah. Just trying something new. And I love that city. I, when I visited, I thought it was cool. I, I want to own property in Colorado. Amazing. I yeah. think Arizona is going to have a reckoning with water issues. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm like, well, where is there water? Colorado. Denver will have different issues. This is a whole nother thing we could get into where like I... I like, I don't this, I can't believe this is political, but like, to me, I'm like, I'm like trying to build an empire for the next 60 years where my, my grandkids are fine. Right. So if that's true, if it's going to be 60 to a hundred years, this having building the real estate empire, I leave. Yeah. Like, I don't think it can be in Phoenix. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like doing research on like, where is it going to be easier in global warming? And it's like Minnesota, Ohio, like those places. So Fun fact, everybody, if if you want to go real, real long term, those are the types of places. But I also might do Colorado because I'm there. Mm -hmm. um, anywho, I forgot what we were talking about. We were talking about Changing your mindset about spending money. Yes, this is an interesting one. So what are some I'm going to get more into the mindset. I know we're way over time, but I kind of like want to talk especially about these mindset things. Mm -hmm. What do you what do you think are some fears that might have been holding you back? We talked a little bit about kind of I think it was almost I'd call it the fear of responsibility in the sense of like being responsible for somebody's like crazy situation. 
it sounded like because you had gone through a short sale, that was part of it. What do you think of that? Do you think I'm accurate or no? No, I, I think you're accurate. I, I, but again, the thing that hits me harder is uh, treating it like a hobby and not a business hmm. and realizing the, the difference. Um, what is the difference? Just like hobby is something you could always just play around with and it's not necessarily going to grow into anything, especially not an empire. Um, and, and so then once I reconciled what that hobby was costing me in terms of family time, I felt that's where it is. Shame. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. Oh shit. Like this is no good. Right. Uh, I'd rather not have a hobby and have that time with my family. Right. So I think just recognizing that, but uh, to your point, maybe a, a, a point before that, then I don't, I don't know. I think I just wasn't realizing the cost I was taking right? until I really looked, took a hard look in the mirror. So I started following um, Tem Templeton Walker out here in Chandler. He's a well-known investor out here too. In his perspective and dynamics around family and and sort of what his life looks like and 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 what's important like once i kind of also open myself up to hearing other successful investors perspective cuz there's no right or wrong but there will be things that will connect with you a bit more and so when i was hearing him and i started going to like these soul pod meetups i was like he gets it he gets it because I, in the way that I need to get it. Um, because again, if money isn't driving me, is bil if building a huge empire isn't driving me, if if um, creating 50 verticals isn't driving me, you know, like then uh, that motivation to take that next step is going to, it may not be there. And so when I started hearing Templeton and the kind of like the the lifestyle he had, uh, very minimalist, by the way, and I was like, oh, I get that. That mm -hmm. that sings to my soul. And and then, um, I mean, I've heard it from Pace too about like, this is this is not a, if if you you need to treat yourself like a business. So at that point, that I didn't just change to start calling. I actually got my LLCs, you know, I did the whole holding and like all the structure that Pace teaches on, like all of a sudden I was taking myself more seriously. Right. So, um, it was really about having the confidence that I, I could do this. I, I could create investments in my life. So I love it. I love that a lot. Um, so this is another question I like asking people just like, because this business can be super stressful. I've had times where like I've been freaking the hell out um, in general about like certain wholesale deals or certain like whatever deals um, and like crazy stuff going on. How do you how do you keep your cool? Do you have a way to keep your cool? I don't. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I fucking flip out on them. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no. Um one of the things I really love about Jamil is about how he puts things in perspective. And if, if it's things that you can actually control, then mm -hmm. go control them. Right. But if it's things that are out of your control, then um, you really can't tie that down 
in any way to bring you stress, all you're going to do is just cause yourself to have angst and uh, give yourself a heart attack before you you're due for one. So um, for me, it's, it's just math. And then at the end of the day, uh, you know, uh, if taking extreme accountability. So imagine if everything is your fault, then what steps could you take? So even in scenarios like yours to say, okay, everything is my fault. Then what, then how would I solve this if this is my fault? And it, it really opens up other uh, options that you may have not thought of if you first didn't think it's my fault. It's nobody else's fault, regardless of what. If it's my fault, what options would I would I explore? Right. I think I've it helps that. you get into a, a creative mindset of problem solving when everything is your fault. Have you ever read the book Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willing? Um, no, but I have. Uh, so Anthony Pappas, who's like a huge fan of his, has talked about it before. And um, I can't recall when it happened, but I've been through like leadership training a long, long time ago where they opened up with everything is your fault. And uh, because of that, I just I'm, I'm always trying to figure out how do I solve this? Love it. I just that's the entire book. Like it is like a very important part of leadership training of just being like, it is always your fault, whether you know it or not. Even even if it's just I need even if it is like I it's my fault that I hired this person and I need to fire them now. Like if that's also in your control, if that's necessary, like if they're just not the right person for the job and that mm-hmm. has to happen, it's still your fault. Mm-hmm. So I love it. And then do you have a morning ritual? I I did and I'm slacking. This is why I told Elena <clears throat> she needs to life coach me. So <clears throat> I did the morning <clears throat> the miracle morning. Um use the high performance planner, which I do have it here. Nice. Um, I finished 75 hard and then I got to day 27 of phase one of 75 hard. Um, and all of that required a morning ritual for me. You know, I'd get up, I'd take a picture, I'd weigh myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I would start meditation and uh, visualization. And then um, I would do like a workout or as earlier in the morning as I could just to get like the, like as many check boxes as I could and read. So I was doing that pretty, um, pretty regularly, but after getting off of 75 hard, both phase one and the original, like I kind of started getting back to my old habits and I recognized it. And I was like, the only thing that I probably have been decent enough is just the way that I eat. Cause I've kept my weight off that I, that I've lost. But, um, I, I want to explore why, like, why can't I build better habits and keep them? Like, mm. you know, I feel like there's something there that, Maybe I need therapy for. I don't know. Um, I don't think you need therapy. You know what it is, in my opinion? It's the same thing that got you to build a business. You need a why. Mm. That's what it is. That's how all habits are created, in my opinion. Good habits, anyways, is you need a, a specific reason why you why you want to work out or why you want to um, meditate. You have to connect to that to something that is a driver of yours. Mm-hmm. So like, if you think about like, I, this may or may not hit for you, but like one thing could be, 
something like I need to work out so that I get to live 10 years and see my grandkids mm. or something like that. I feel like when I bet like he says like a mom, I bet that something like that will hit you in a different way where you're like, okay, freak. Now I have to work out because I want to see my grandkids. I want to yeah. see them grow up and blah, 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 and do all that. Yeah. The, yeah. That's how I think habits are really created is, is if you presently put that in your mind. Yeah. Very interesting. I 100% and I probably need to do some work. This is why I want a life coach, actually. <laughs> Elena, if you're watching this, is to understand um, what are some whys for me that really help me um, connect to those habits I need to be more consistent about. If you so. want to, Munif sent me his business coach. This was one of the greatest gifts Munif, Munif ever gave me. Mm -hmm. Like the first time I met him, we did a Zoom and we weren't clicking business wise, but he was like, man, you should like meet my life, my life slash business coach. His name's Mike Mill. I'm having him on in three weeks or so. He's oh. revolutionized my life and my business. It's like, it's, it's an accountability. Like I like the accountability groups. But when it's a one-on-one -on -one and somebody's keeping you accountable for literally every part and every goal of your life, it's it it's something different. It hits yeah. differently than. Yeah, and I think that that's why seventy-five hard was so good for me. Like every day, I had a. It was very. It is for people. So seventy-five hard is a program developed by Andy Frisella, uh, which is really more mindset than it is like a diet or whatever. And so every day you have to drink a gallon of water to take a progress picture. You have to read 10 pages of a non-fictional book. Um, uh, I don't remember what I said already. Um, you have to work out twice a day. One of those workouts has to be outside 45 minutes each. You need to follow a diet, whatever it is. You just have to be strict. There's no cheat meals. Um, and I can't recall if that's it. So that's the original. No drinking. Yeah. Oh, no drinking. Actually, uh, I haven't drank this year. Amazing. I started with 75 hard and I was like, this seems fine enough. So I just haven't. Um, that was like the one thing. This is a joke and not a joke. It was like, that was the one. I remember people talking about it at the mastermind and I just mm -hmm. heard like, no, there's no drinking either. I'm like, no, I'm out. Mm -hmm. I like drinking. <laughs> I like drinking every once in a while. I love these types of challenges, but if it's that's I'm, I'm, I'm a struggling alcoholic, Ingrid. That's what so, I'm saying. Uh, no, please hope not. <laughs> I'm kidding. So if you heard that not drinking will give you an edge in business, would you stop drinking? That's a good question. Here's the thing. I would 100%. I think I would, but it depends on like how much of an edge. That's the issue for me, like in my mind. And I'll be honest, like in my mind, if I drink one night out of the week at max, it doesn't really affect my business. I could probably am wrong about that though. So educate me a little bit. What do you, what, what, what does the program say about that? And like how that affects everything else? Oh, I have no idea. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> I, you just um, hit a driver there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, but one of the things that I think about is like pace, right. And Jamil, like they don't drink. Mm -hmm. And then once you start, understanding that dynamic it's like they don't drink and every day they're doing business every single right. day and for me um i don't know if you know every time you drink you're actually shrinking shrinking your brain 
Mm. So it, it actually does make your brain smaller in terms of dehydration, what it does to kill your brain cells, all of that. Right. And I'm like, well, what if they just killed a brain cell that would have helped me create an option for a seller? Fair enough. But now it's dead. So I can't come to terms with being able to figure something out. So for me, that's kind of, I, I know it seems really crazy, um, but I was like, why are people like, everything I've been watching, it's like the people are willing to go the extra mile or do the things that the general population are not willing to do are the ones that make it further than most. And I was like, most of the population that is adult drink. So then for me, that's an easy one to eliminate as an edge for me because 100%. most people drink. And it makes for awkward still situations. I have a couple of 40th birthday parties that I have to go to for very, very good friends of mine. And they're like, are you drinking yet? And I'm like, nope. Um, and just seeing whether or not I could actually, you know, commit to that. Um, you know, the carnivore diet, which is something I started this year. I would say I'm probably like 80 to 90% aligned with it uh, in terms of how I eat every day. And it's done well for me. And I'm like, you know, not everybody could commit to doing something like that. So I think of that as an edge for me. I so just just things like that. Like, build up the wind. I say I'm not an alcoholic. I'm just throwing <laughs> it out there to the community. I do like I do like drinking every once in a while. But it's but it's it, I swear I'm still a functional person in society. I just want to throw that. That's probably my only vice at this point, I'd say, where I'm like, yeah, that's definitely a vice that probably could be working on. But I agree in the sense that discipline is necessary. Oh, yeah. Like, I have a lot of discipline with what I eat. Like, I'm a vegetarian. Oh, I'm sorry. Instance. No, you're okay. I'm a vegetarian. <laughs> Wait, why? Because you're a carnivore? <laughs> no, you come from a mom. I don't want to eat it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, yeah, I'm a vegetarian and like I've been doing, I've been doing intermittent fasting. You know, you mm -hmm. heard of intermittent fasting? Oh, yeah, I do yeah. it. Often. Nice. I've been loving it because it forces me to work out in the morning because mm. I'm like, I'm too hungry in the morning not to work out because it actually makes it where I'm less hungry if I work out. Anyways, interesting stuff. But, yeah, there's a lot of science behind working out when you're fasting. Yeah. So, um, uh, yes, the only time, and this is maybe TMI, the only time I'm really hungry in the morning is close to when the 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 flow ant flow is coming. Okay. And so, um, but then I, I, my head is clearer because eating a diet, like I'm eating, like I, those signals are hard to find when you're mm -hmm. eating the sad diet, the standard American diet. And, um, and so now I recognize those. I'm like, Oh shit, I'm hungry this morning. Yeah, I was hungry this morning. And <laughs> so I'm like, Oh, it must be around the corner. You know, like it, it, it's coming and it's hard to hear those those signals your body's giving you when you're interrupting it with Cheetos and all the other things people eat. So 100%. 100%. Okay. So what is your favorite book? Just ever? I have two. Um, interesting. We're talking about the habits I can't keep because I probably need to go reread this book, but Atomic Habits. I've been, I, that's in my nook right now. That's yeah. one of the books I need to read. I had a lot of aha moments in that. Mm -hmm. And I think it's why I've stuck to eating, uh, making good eating decisions for the most part. 
And um, one of the aha moments in that book was if you want to become something you're not, ask the question as if you're already that person. So would fit Ingrid eat these Cheetos? If the answer is no, then you know you shouldn't. And it was just an interesting um, hack to help you make good choices. It's actually helped people who are alcoholics (laughs) and people who like – have cigarette issues is to think about themselves as like a third person answering Mm -hmm. for them, whether or not they should make that decision. And then um, the other book is outwitting the devil. So good. Interesting. Have you read that book? No, I've never heard of that book. Uh, Napoleon Napoleon Hill wrote that book. I've only read, I've only read think and grow rich by him. I have read that. Uh, I was actually looking at my audible and for somebody who I think went years, I, I went years without reading or listening to a book. I've, I've hit like 24 books in less than a year or something like that. Nice. Crazy. But, yeah. And uh, um, it was all the 75 hard stuff, you know, when you're working out, you're listening to a book. Um, but uh, yeah, Outwitting the Devil is really, really good. And for me, it was good because uh, there was parts in it that like won me over, like um, that there was information that um, Napoleon Hill never had access to, like the science hadn't caught up with the times yet. And the fact that he was talking about the fact that like alcohol and cigarettes um, are habit forming, like there's a a chemical catalyst in it to make it a habit for you. Right. And they didn't know that science then, but he was speaking about it as the devil. And so it's, I highly recommend listening to it because the voices are really, really good um, between the devil and Napoleon Hill. But supposedly they didn't release this book during Napoleon's time because it was too like sacrilegious. Hmm. And so as a result, you know, the family was like, you can't do it. You can't do it. And I think they released it not too long ago, like maybe less than two decades ago. Interesting. If I, if I recall. Yeah, because it was just so controversial that Napoleon supposedly had this interaction with the devil. Whoa. Yeah. Okay. How to outwit the devil? That one sounds cool. No, outwitting the devil. Outwitting the devil. Mm-hmm. I love it. I love it. Ingrid, I think we are officially 30, about to be 38 minutes over time. So I think I'm going to start wrapping this up. This has been amazing. This has been so fun. I'm going to wrap it up, guys. Again, please like and subscribe to the YouTube channel. Ingrid, how do the people hit you up? What, are you, what do you want them to be seeing? Do you have anything coming up? What do you, what do you want to promote right now? What's the plug? Um, definitely follow me on Instagram. Ingrid, spelled with a Y, underscore Hernandez. Um, and if you have any opportunities, I'm, I'm a buyer. I want to buy creative deals. Uh, I, I don't recall if we did it during the podcast, but my goal was to own three Airbnbs this year. Mm-hmm. And before the end of the year, we will, we'll, we will have owned at least four. So I'm excited about that. Yeah, we talked about that earlier. So wait, yeah. what, are you, what are you doing to celebrate? You don't have to drink, but I, I, I challenge you to celebrate for when that you have three and it's closed somehow. 
I don't know I'm how. Going to Disney World. You're going to Disney World? There you well, go. We, we really are going to Disney World. That's the plan, to go to okay. Disney World in October. And take Honestly, I think Disney World is more addictive than alcohol anyway, so <laughs> whatever. Yeah, for <laughs> Tanika, sure. her whole thing is she just wants to, like, be able to go to Disney World whenever she wants. She wants, like, a constant pass, which I think yeah. is amazing. Super. <laughs> um, okay. So, yeah, follow Ooh. me on Instagram. Instagram. Um, and then the dispo, the deal, dispo.com. Mm-hmm. You guys want the deal dispo.com is how you guys, you can see it in your name. That's how you guys submit deals, sir. Where are you buying? Um, mostly buying in Arizona, Texas, and Nevada. But mm-hmm. if if it makes for great Airbnb, I'm open to buying creatively in other areas too. Love it. All right, guys, I'm going to wrap it up. This is episode 28 or seven, seven. 27 i'm forgetting We're, i've been doing this for a while now good um, for you thank you episode 27 of scorch the fears i will see y'all next week 5 p.m pst i have who do i have coming on next week i've got Brittany berryman who's an amazing astro student do you know Brittany? you met Brittany? is it too easy uh two e's Brittany with no. b-r-i-t-n-e-e because I want to say yes. No. Oh, then no. the answer is no. She's amazing. She was on the Secret Agent Challenge. She was in, I was with her in the Astro Mastermind. Okay. She's going to be, she's going to be, she's insanely cool, guys. Come tune in then. I'm going to wrap this up. Love you guys. I will see y'all next week. Woo! <laughs> <laughs>